Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm obsessed with all things writing, creativity, and telling your stories in your authentic voice, because I believe a good story can change the world. Ever since I was a little girl with my nose in a book, I dreamed of being an author. I wanted to see my books in bookstores everywhere. I wanted to talk about books. I wanted to soak up everything about the craft. My celebrity crushes were mostly authors, and I could feel in my bones that the writer's life was my destiny. Fast forward to today. Along with my alter ego, Kate Conti, I'm an Agatha Award-nominated best-selling author with three mystery series, but it wasn't all smooth sailing along the way. I experienced many setbacks, crushing self-doubt, a lot of career detours, and I even lost my voice a few times when I let the world get in my way. Until I learned that writing was so much more than just a skill set you learned and developed over time. It's also an inside job that flourishes when you heal all the wounds that are stifling your creativity, which is no easy task. So if you're a writer of any kind, or if you've always wanted to write but aren't sure where to start, this is the place for you, my friend. We're going to talk about all things writing process, craft, strategies to help you get writing and stay writing, the daunting world of agents, editors, and publishing. And because I'm using my authentic voice, I'm going to throw in a little woo-woo for you too. So let's get writing, shall we? Thanks for coming back. I'm your host, Liz McGavro. Hey, before we get going today, have you grabbed my freebie on the key decisions you need to make before you start writing your mystery? If not, stop right now, head over to kateconti.com, that's C-A-T-E-C-O-N-T-E.com and grab it. If you're thinking about writing a book and you want to know what you need to do before you actually jump into it, this is exactly what you need. So go get it today. On to the episode. So I love music. I've always loved music and I've always been a sucker for those ballads with the meaningful lyrics. If you know me at all, you probably know I have an obsession with the Goo Goo Dolls. And actually it started the day that I happened to hear the song name in my car while I was parked in front of my work one morning. And I was just captivated by the lyrics, the music, the voice, the story that he was telling, the whole package. And it just remains a moment that I will always remember. Um, But aside from figuring that if I really put my mind to it, I could probably write some lyrics. The rest of the songwriting process just completely mystifies me. I took piano lessons for 10 years as a kid, and I still couldn't tell you how to put any kind of instrumentals together to make something sound coherent. So I'm definitely in awe of people who can do that. And today I'm excited to welcome my very first songwriter to the podcast, Zach Comtois is a live performing and recording guitar player from Boston who has played stages all around the world in front of hundreds of thousands of fans since 2006 with artists like Britney Spears, Keb Moe, Jesse Rubin, and Bryce Vine, just to name a few. He's appeared on the Today Show, the Billboard Music Awards, the iTunes Music Festival in London, and many others. He performed in the award-winning Britney Spears Piece of Me residency at the Access Theater at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas from 2013 to 2017. Cool, right? 
So Zach and I are talking about all things writing and no matter what you're actually writing, the processes and the fears and the procrastination and the rewards aren't all that different. It was really a fun and fascinating conversation and I'm excited to bring him to your ears today. And yeah, he does talk about the Britney Spears experience. So here we go. Hey Zach, welcome to the podcast. Hey Liz, thanks for having me. I appreciate you um, talking to me as you're driving through the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. So <laughs> I appreciate you talking to me as I'm driving through the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, because this much time alone in the car, things start to get a little, uh, a little uneventful. So I appreciate <laughs> some human interaction. Awesome. Well, the life of a musician, right? So you are my first songwriter that I've had on the podcast. So this is cool. And I don't know a lot about songwriting, so you're going to enlighten me. Um, and even tell me if I'm asking you the right questions, but before we get into all that, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Uh, well, so I am sort of a few different things as a musician. I am a songwriter. Uh, I am uh, what's referred to as a sideman, meaning that I sometimes play an instrument for artists for hire. Um, I'm not necessarily in the band, but if they need a guitar player or a multi-instrumentalist on tour or something like that, um, they call me. So I do things like that. Um, I do all sorts of, uh, recording and session work and, and that sort of thing as well. And then the occasional, like, TV date and just sort of jack of all trades when it comes to guitar playing and music in general. Very cool. And you've had, you've been in some high profile, um, well, I guess not in the band, but you, you've performed with high profile people. So tell us about that. Uh, let's see. So most recently, uh, I've been touring with a band called motion city soundtrack and I'm actually uh, going on tour with them in a few weeks. They're doing a tour, uh, for the 20th anniversary of their first record, I Am The Movie, uh, they're doing an East Coast tour uh, in the first half of January. So we're doing that with them. Um, before then, I've played with uh, kind of a smattering of, of different artists. But um, So I've played with uh, a lot of different artists. Um, most recently, I've been touring with a band called Motion City Soundtrack, um, playing kind of auxiliary guitar for them. And we're going on tour in January to commemorate the 20th anniversary of their first record. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I've played with Iggy Azalea. I've played with uh, Bryce Vine. I've played with Blue to Tiger. Um, but kind of most notoriously, I played with Britney Spears from 2013 to 2018, doing the entire Vegas residency and then a couple of world tours. That's cool. Very cool. I know everyone's going to want to know what that was like, so you may as well just tell us. I mean, it was it was the single greatest thing that ever happened to me in my career. I was uh, I was at that point um, where I was like, "Am I any good at this? Am I? Is it even going to work? You know, should I just try to do something else?" Like I was playing a lot of clubs, empty rooms, and and just sort of sweating it out on the road with punk bands and trying to give it my all, but, um, it was a particularly slow time in my career. And then I got a call, uh, from a friend of mine who was her musical director. And he asked me if I wanted to do the Vegas gig and I couldn't say yes fast enough. And, uh, before I knew it, I was 
flying down to Las Vegas and rehearsing with the band and getting ready to put up the Vegas show. It was, uh, it was incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're also in a couple of your own bands. Yeah. So right now, um, my best friend, Mark and I, we started a project called better fires, uh, actually in the middle of 2020. Cause we were both like, well, don't have anything else to do. So we <laughs> might as well make a record. Um, and as of December 15th, 2023, that record will finally be out and in the world. And, uh, it's a really exciting time for us because we've been working on this thing for three years. So I'm really, really eager to get it out and to hear what people think and start playing those songs live as much as possible. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I mean, you know how it is as a writer. Sometimes in the middle of doing the thing, you're like, is this ever going to be done and out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm in that I'm in that right now. <laughs> yeah. um, at, at least once a year. Um, so it's nice to it's nice to almost be on the other end of the thing. Yeah. So did you do all the songwriting for that album? Uh, yes. So Mark and I, uh, wrote the entire thing together. Um, there were some songs where like Mark would have a bunch of music, uh, and I might write, you know, a melody and lyrics, or maybe I would have a bunch of music and wouldn't know what to write the song about. And he might have an idea. So it was a true collaborative effort the entire way. Um, a lot of the songs were written by both of us kind of in the room. Um, but then sometimes, you know, one of us would come in with an idea and then we, the other one would pick it up and run with it. Hmm. All right. So I really want to dig into this because I've thought a lot about writing music and aside from, you know, figuring I could probably come up with some lyrics if I need to, I wouldn't have the faintest clue where to start. So what is the process, the creative process of approaching writing a, a new song? We'll talk about co-writing later, but when you do it yourself, like how do you what do you do? I mean, I think it's, I think it's different for everybody. Like far be it from me to presume the one correct way to write a song. Um, I, I only speak for myself, but for me, it usually comes from messing around either on guitar or on an instrument that I'm less familiar with and just sort of making noise until I come up with something that I think is cool. And, uh, and then seeing if I can build on that. But a lot of times, um, especially more recently, I'll be writing something and if it, if it doesn't carry itself to a certain point and I, I get stuck with it, I'll just sort of record a voice memo and kind of put it in my back pocket until a situation arises in which I need a verse or a chorus or a bridge, like I'll go through my library of fragments that I've written, but kind of sometimes like one out of every 30 attempts, I'll catch a wave and the song will just kind of come falling out. Um, those are always my favorite cause you don't have to fight it at all. Um, and I, I, I have one of those on this record that's coming out, uh, this month and, um, those are the, those are the best experiences, but otherwise it's, I'm, I'm kind of an elbow grease writer. Like I'll come up with a piece and I might just hold on to it for a while until it's relevant or, um, until I can combine it with something else. 
That's cool. So do you always start with the music or do you ever start with lyrics? I pretty much always start with music. I might have an idea of a topic and I might write it down. Um, that way, if I've started writing a song musically, I can then, once I've finished writing the music of the song, I can open up my notebook and be like, oh, right, right, right. I wanted to write a song about X, Y, Z. And then that might get me off and running. But as far as like lyrics and melodies are concerned, I pretty much just mumble gibberish to a melody so that I have an idea of what I want the melody to be. And sometimes I might say something in my gibberish and Mark might say, oh, did you say this? Like, he'll be like, oh, did you say something about um, the desert? And I'll be like, no, I didn't, but let's run with that. Let's see what we can do with it. Maybe there's something there. Hmm. So when you're co-writing with, with Mark or anyone else, um, is it, do you guys just kind of do that, right? Like you might have some melodies, somebody might have a lyric, or does one of you do the melody, one of you do the lyrics? Is there a process to it? I think that both of us are pretty hands-on with everything. I think when it comes to melodies, I, I probably come up with more of them than him, but he's also just as likely to sit down at a keyboard, play a melody, and then I might be like, oh, that's really cool, and then I'll pick it up and run with it. But it's I, it sounds like a cop-out, but this record was honestly like truly a totally collaborative um, experience, which was really good for me because I get stuck a lot. So it's nice having someone else in the room to be like, why don't we do this? And just sort of like shake me out of my, my patterns. Yeah. That's actually a good segue. Cause I was going to ask you if you have any kind of a, so I, so when I talk to writers about, you know, sitting down to write their book or, you know, whatever else it is that they're going to write. And even when I sit down to write my own, um, I have, you know, certain things that I do. I have my little area that I write in. I have my crystals that, you know, I do all the things, right? Do right. you have something similar to get yourself kind of into that creative mindset when you're songwriting? Uh, I have a couple different things. I think um, as unromantic as this sounds, um, a lot of my songwriting is kind of like nine to five, where like I just tell myself that, you're going to sit down at the desk with a guitar or a keyboard and you're going to work for eight hours. And at the end of the day, you might have something great at the end of the day, you might have nothing, but you have to put in the time. And it really, it took us probably about a year and a half to write all of the music. The other year and a half was recording it and mixing it and mastering it and all that. Um, but so as far as putting myself in the mode, it's just like, punching the time card, putting in the hours, um, and kind of getting it done. But as far as like, if I'm fighting writer's block or something, I don't, I don't know if you've ever done this, but my favorite thing to do is write something bad on purpose hmm. because it like, it breaks you out of your, it gets the editor out of your head. And yeah. I'm like, all right, well, I could do this or this. It doesn't matter. It's going to be a bad song. So it just forces you to make decisions quickly and it kind of greases the wheels a little bit. And uh, consequently, Mark and I ended up with a record that we're really proud of and about 30 or 40 terrible songs that make us both laugh really hard. <laughs> 
I love that. I've never actually gone to, so I actually just did a webinar last night for um, Sisters in Crime, which is a international writing group that I'm part of. Um, and we were talking about, you know, how you get out of writer's block and how you get over creative slumps and all of that. And one of the things that I need to do when I'm working on a book and I'm, it's going nowhere, sometimes I'll open up a completely different document and I'll just start writing something somewhere else because in my head, it's like, well, it's not in the actual manuscript. So it doesn't matter what I write over here. So I've never set out to do it really bad on purpose, but I'm like, there's other tricks that I try to play on my own mind to get myself to just start writing something. So that's cool. Yeah. I like that. I think we're doing the same thing. I think the only difference is I'm like trying to make it bad. Because <laughs> um, I think when you do that, it ends up being fun and funny. And like you really throw caution to the wind with terms of like the editor in your head. Like you just sort of kick the editor out of the room completely. And, but I, I think the end result is the same where you and I have both kind of gone outside the thing we're working on to work on something else and just sort of, like I said before, like grease the wheels and get the process started again. Yeah. It's just getting past that crazy perfectionist mindset that I think we all have on some level. Oh, I know the, the editor, we call it. Yeah. It's, you can't have the editor in the room when you're, uh, when you're in the creative process, the editor is for after all the creativity is down on the page. Yeah. But like, that voice that's like, uh, I don't know if you want to write that. I don't know if that's a good idea. Like that person has no business being in the room when you're creating. Yep. The other thing I really like that you said was the nine to five thing. Cause we talk a lot about this too, in the writing world, like it artists of any kind, I think we just have this, it's been kind of drilled into our heads by our parents, by society, you know, by whoever insert, you know, critic here, um, that, this art thing is not anything real. It's like the fun thing you do on the side. It's flighty. It's never going to be anything. Right. And so I think a lot of us have a hard time of thinking of it as like that job. Right. So we're always doing it, you know, off the side of our desk or in our spare time, but to actually sit down and, and say, this is my job and whatever hours I work, I have to show up. And, you know, if I have a crappy day at work and it doesn't pan out that well, oh, well, I still had to go to work. Yeah. And you did will, you, right? Like, there are going to be bad days. Yeah. And how did you get to that? Did you always approach it like that or did you have to get there? I didn't used to. When I started writing music, uh, when I was in college, I was always sort of waiting for that magical spark, like that magic moment where I could just sort of like catch, like I was saying, catch the wave and sort of ride it until the inspiration ran dry. And I think that's a, for me, that's a really unhealthy way of writing because you're just sort of always kind of pleading with yourself to be inspired. Um, and I think like if you get one of those every now and then that's great, but it's not sustainable long-term. And, uh, I, it was April of 2020 when we started writing the record and Mark was in my like covid bubble right so the two of us each had our our parents and our significant others and um and each other and that was it and we were like all right so every i think it was like every monday wednesday friday we'll get together and we'll just punch the clock write some stuff down 
see what happens. And it ended up being really healthy for me in the creative process to be with someone, like be working with someone who wasn't judgmental about my ideas and wasn't afraid to throw something out there, even if he didn't know it was going to work. And it put us in a headspace of, well, let's uh, throw it all against the wall and see what sticks. And if nothing does, then, hey, we try it and we'll come back again next time and do it again. Yeah, I like that. It's just the it's it's a forgiving way of doing it. And I think that there's so many examples in uh, either when you're watching a, a biography, like a biopic or like a documentary about someone there's so many examples of someone saying, well, we were in the studio and it was three o'clock in the morning and we didn't have any songs done yet. And all of a sudden, Jerry sat down at the piano and started playing <laughs> what would become our biggest number one hit. Like We're all sort of expecting this magical moment all the time as creatives. And that moment doesn't always come. So it's okay to be like, yeah, I'm going to try to get a chorus down today. And to treat it like a nine to five, because this is, it is a creative thing. It is very artistic and it is very inspired, but it's also a job. So it's okay to treat it like that sometimes. Yeah, for, for sure. So do you consider yourself kind of a traditional songwriter? Are you more innovative? Like how does, how do you, how do you see your work? Um, I definitely think of myself as a pop songwriter. Um, I've always had uh, melodies kind of like kicking around in my head. It's most days of the week I'll wake up with a melody in my head and most of them are bad, um, but they're always kind of in there. And when I get a good one or one that I think is good or one that I like, I'll sing it into my voice memos on my phone or something like that. Um, but I always think of music in the pop song format first chorus first chorus bridge chorus out um and sometimes it really takes a co-writer to say hey maybe we don't write in that format this time maybe we just do verse chorus and then a long outro and that's the song um it it takes for me it it helps to have another person in the room to kind of break me out of my routines because if i don't have that i might just keep doing the same thing over and over again until i'm blue in the face yeah Hi, this is Julian, the producer for the Get Writing Podcast. Zencaster is an extremely important part of our workflow on this show. Podcasting has you working with a wide range of people who all have different computer and office setups, different levels of comfort with technology, and different levels of time and patience. Zencaster takes this big logistical headache and makes it utterly trivial. No more grappling with recording software, waiting for files to be delivered, losing files, none of that. Log in using your browser and start recording a high-quality podcast right away. Record studio-quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests. Feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings in the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. If you've ever thought about podcasting and thought that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting platform. You can create your show all in one place and then distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and all the other major destinations. Go to Zencaster.com pricing and use our code writing, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience as we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. 
it's time to share your story. I like how you say you wake up with a melody in your head every day. It's kind of like as a fiction writer, I wake up with a lot of voices in my head most days, <laughs> which I don't admit to a lot of people, but it's kind of, you know, goes with the job. No, totally. And have you seen that? Um, have you seen the movie, the man who invented Christmas? No, it's about, it's a biopic about how Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas Carol hmm. and it's portrayed in exactly that way. Like he'll be in his office and Ebony, Ebenezer Scrooge will walk into the office and start chastising him for not finishing the chapter. And he'll be like, quiet down. I'm trying to, and, and he'll start talking to Ebenezer Scrooge being like, what do you want? Why do you want it? And I think that's such an accurate portrayal of what writing is. So many movies and TV shows portray writing as just that magical moment where you scribble it all down and then you've written an entire book in one sitting. And it's just, that's just not realistic. Like it's something you wrestle with for a long time. And I love the fact that they showed him talking to the characters and having different types of conversations with them because in A Christmas Carol, all the characters have a different persona. They all have a different voice and... I think like it requires a certain amount of, you know, going to that place where you're envisioning the conversation with the person in order to be able to write it down. Yeah. I have to watch that. I didn't realize. Uh, so, all right, your sister will tell you that I am very behind on movies. She's always asking me if I've seen, you know, this movie or that movie. And I'm always like, no, <laughs> so um, I need to do a little more movie watching, but that is going to the top of my list. Um, I love that because I do like, I hear my characters all the time and I envision them talking to each other, but I've actually not ever thought of it as I should ask them what they actually want. That's, that's really interesting. 18 books and I haven't done that. So. I mean, listen, there, there's no one way to do this. Right. And I think like the best thing we can do as writers is listen to the people who do something other than what we do. Like, Hearing one of my favorite writers to listen to, um, especially when he's talking about writing, is Aaron Sorkin. And mm -hmm. he always talks about intention and obstacle. And it's such a simplistic formula for driving a narrative, but it works so well. And I try to incorporate that in my writing when I'm writing something fictional or writing something, you know, even if it's about myself, I'll think, okay, where was I at that time? What was my obstacle? And what was I trying to get to? Mm. And it's definitely, uh, I like pushing the narrative forward, um, in whatever way I can, that isn't like, all right, yesterday I sat down I played a G chord and then I came up with this line. So I'm going to do that again. I'm always trying to shuffle it up so that I'm not doing the same thing every time. Yeah. So do you write fiction too? In music, um, I would say probably about three quarters of the song on the new record are, are fiction, uh, and then the rest are autobiographical, but I usually don't say which is which. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you like how much of your life makes it into your music. So, I mean, probably it's probably, even if I'm writing something that's not about me, I probably make it into the lyrics some way or another just yeah. because it can be. I mean, you know how it is. It's difficult to completely shed your point of view when you're writing something. Um, but I think I probably seep in there to some degree. But if I'm writing something about, you know, if the, if the protagonist of the song 
is like really different from me. I try to, you know, make choices opposite of what Zach Comtois would make. I try to make choices of what so-and-so like leader narrator of the song would make. Yeah, it's funny. I often get asked, you know, oh, is your main character you? And I'm like, well, aside from the fact that I'm not blonde and I'm not tall and I'm not, you know, all these other things. Um, no, she's not me, <laughs> but she does drink a lot of coffee like I do. And she's got certain character traits that, you know, um, that I have. So yeah, it is hard to, to banish any, you know, any piece of yourself from what you're writing for sure. Totally. I mean, it, there's, there are cracks in the foundation, right? Where eventually some of you is just going to find its way in, even if it's like, you know, this one particular piece of clothing that you wear that you like, you might put that piece of clothing on the main character. Yeah. So do you find yourself drawn to like recurring themes in your, in your work? Um, maybe, maybe unintentionally. Um, I think the, the joke that I like to make about my record is that you can tell which songs were written pre-vaccine and which songs were written post-vaccine because the pre-vaccine songs were all really sad and dour. And, <laughs> and then the post-vaccine songs were all pop songs, like dance summer songs, and I was much happier and more optimistic. Um, but I think because at the time things were so uncertain and there was a lot of death and there was a lot of, um, sadness and confusion. I think those themes are really prevalent in the record, but if you were to listen to stuff that I wrote when I was in college, it might be a little more, uh, you know, focused on kind of the challenges of being 19 years old and living in a city. I think it's, it's seasonal for me. I, I might revisit themes, but it's more to do with where I am at the time that I'm writing. Yeah. And so kind of building on that, um, when I'm, when I'm writing a book, like I usually spend some time thinking about the theme that I want the book to have overall, but also like how I want my readers to feel when they're reading the book. Right. Do you take that into account when you're, when you're writing songs and, and how do you, I'm sure it changes with the different songs, but what, what are you looking for when it comes to getting your audience to feel something? Um, I think the advantage of writing music is that if I want the listener to feel a certain way, I might use the instruments to drive that, I, I think it's, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the songwriter, but for me, like it might be easier for me to make the writer feel sad by playing a certain chord progression than by, um, you know, a sequence of events in the lyrics. Um, that's a, that's a nice advantage to have. Um, but then again, I mean, it's also, it, it's also personal. Like I guess, someone might be affected differently by a chord progression than somebody else. I, I know that there are bands that I love that other people don't love. So it's just a matter of kind of what someone's more into, I guess. Do you, are there, do you have like kind of tricks up your sleeve that you go to if you want to evoke some emotion out of someone? I mean, I wouldn't say they were tricks, but I, I think, what's changed the most for me from, you know, when I first started writing to now is that I realized how much more 
even, even in fiction, like how much more, um, authentic, the more authentic you are in your, in your writing and, and, you know, the things that you're exploring and what your character's doing and, and the responses that they're having to the things that are happening around them, mm-hmm. I think it's going to give the work more of a, of that emotional maturity and that feeling that you want people to walk away from. Cause if you're always staying on the surface, you know, even in, in, it, even if you're writing something that's not supposed to be super like in depth and, and, you know, serious and dramatic, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. People are still feeling things and they're still going through things and you still want to be able to connect with the audience. And I think I just really learned that to, you, you got to really get in there and feel the things. So you can yeah. write about things. Yeah, totally. I mean, Pixar has proved that to us time and time again, right? Like they can make a movie about talking toys, but if you really watch what's going on under the surface, Toy Story is about fear of being replaced and love yeah. and loss and, you know, and insecurity in yourself and in your ability to bring happiness to others. Like there's so much, there's so much going on in there. It's not just a like, wow, look, this toy cowboy can talk and run. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's really kind of amazing that we get to do what we get to do and people get to react to it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I feel very blessed to be able to do it. I, I watched, Speaking of Toy Story, I watched Toy Story 2 recently, and there's so much going on in that movie from a storytelling perspective. But then when you bring the music into it, you know that song, have, have you seen Toy Story 2? Yes. Uh, or- have I? Oh, I don't know. I may have only seen the first one. I don't know. Stop asking me if I've seen movies because I'm embarrassing myself now. <laughs> oh, no, no. I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm just excited. If you haven't seen it, then you get to, and you get to hear this moment that I'm about to refer to. There's a scene where one of the toys is talking about she's reminiscing on the times that she had with her owner when she was still with her. And for a rare moment in a Toy Story movie, there's a song um, because they're not musicals, right? So the songs are they just sort of happen in the background of the scene. And there's a song uh, written by Randy Newman, performed by Sarah McLaughlin called When She Loved Me. And it is the most heart-wrenching moment because everybody had toys when they were growing up. Everyone can remember a time when they were, you know, using their imagination in the bedroom or in the backyard with their, with their favorite toy. And to show that from the toys perspective is, um, is nostalgic and sad enough on its own. But then when you add the musical component to it, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. (laughs) Especially Sarah McLaughlin, my gosh, they use her music for the um, ASPCA commercials, and I can't even watch those. <laughs> no, they probably did it on purpose, just knowing, oh, she knows how to, she knows how to tug at the heartstrings. Totally. <laughs> yeah, everyone's got tricks up their sleeve to evoke some tears. Yeah. All right. Next time I want to cry, I'll make sure I watch that movie. <laughs> oh God! Bring your Kleenex. Oh, funny. So, have you? Do you write like every day? I don't. Um, there was definitely a period where I was writing every day. Um, but I think now that we've finished the record and we've recorded it and we've mixed it and we've done all the things, we've done the artwork, we've done the photography. I think I've put on my, okay, I have to get this thing out into the world hat. Um, and it's been more about playing the songs we have, pushing the thing that we have rather than 
starting to build the next thing, but I don't fight it if it happens. So like if I get an idea, whether it's, I wake up in the middle of the night and I have a melody in my head or I'm, you know, vacuuming and I think of a melody, um, I'll stop what I'm doing and go and record it just so that, like I mentioned before, just so I have it on a voice note and I can do something with it in the future. But I think once this record's out, once we get into the swing of things, um, we'll probably start doing the nine to five grind again so that we can do a second record, hopefully in less than three years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think, now that we have like a sound in mind and, and kind of a, an end goal, I don't think it'll take as long, but, um, I think I'm sort of, I'm sort of always writing, even if I don't realize it, like you're Mm -hmm. sort of always keeping your ears open for something that's usable or something that's cool. Um, so I think I'm sort of always in that headspace to some degree. Totally. Yeah. I think it's just a thing when you're a creative person. Cause I, you know, I say the same thing to, um, some of the writers I work with who might be thinking, well, I didn't actually write today cause I didn't sit at the computer and type out, you know, 500 words or whatever it is. But if you're in a story or even if you're thinking about a story that you might want to write your, that head work, that brain work is still writing. Yeah, for sure. And do you, do you keep something on you i mean i guess we all have a phone these days and that's probably the writer's best friend but like do you did you ever used to keep like a notebook in your back pocket or something where if you had an idea or a name that you liked or a town or something that you would you could just take out the notebook and write it down oh totally i was like the queen of notebooks when i was a kid and all the way up through until i probably until iphones came out probably because now you're right that's what i do i'm always you know leaving a voice note for myself to remind myself of something that i thought of but yeah i would always have a notebook i would always be writing things down um i I think when i was younger i was much less preoccupied with was this going to work or am i going to be a good writer? you know whatever i just wanted to write things so i just wrote things and and i think you know, the older I got and the more pressure I put on myself, that was when I started to stop doing that. And and I've been trying to make a concerted effort to get back to that mindset lately. Yeah. Just get something down and then decide whether you like it later. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the best way to do it, right? Yep. Definitely. We have to get over ourselves, I think. <laughs> right. Totally. I mean, it's, and it's not even, I think it's just, I mean, I, I, I talked about shutting off the editor, but really we should just not let anyone in the room except for the writer, like not the, not the publisher. And I mean like the, the ones in your head, right? Not, not a, an actual publisher working, but like shut off the publisher, shut off the promoter, shut off the editor, shut off everybody. And the only person allowed in the room is the writer. And if you end up writing, you know, five pages of something that is completely unusable for your story. Well, it could be a short story. If you're a songwriter and you end up with a, you know, 45 second piece of music that doesn't work with anything that you have, but it's beautiful, then great. You have a beautiful 45 second piece of music that you can put on your record or just put out into the world or just keep to yourself. I think it's as long as we're doing the thing, then you're doing it right. Totally. Oh, I love that. All right. So last question, what would you tell 
an up and coming songwriter that, that they need to keep in mind as they're kind of figuring out how to do this, where to do this. Can they even do this? Um, yes, you can, because everyone who is writing songs right now is, I promise you, they all ask themselves the same thing. Like even the most successful songwriters in the world are like, is this any good? Is anyone going to like this? And then sometimes like super successful songwriters will write a write a song that they're not even in love with. They'll just be like, Oh, I guess this is okay. I'm not really feeling it, but I'll finish it. And that ends up being a huge hit. So the, the best advice I can give to any songwriter is just, just write it. Just don't let anything stand in your way. Don't, don't let, you know, your insecurities or any of the inner monologues prevent you from finishing the thing. Because right now the barrier of entry to making records is lower than it's ever been. I mean, if you look at the Billie Eilish record, when we all fall asleep, where do we go? It was recorded in Billie's bedroom and Phineas had a, a, a MacBook pro and a microphone and an old piano and, and logic, the, the a recording, a piece of recording software called logic. And it's not, free. So obviously you have to buy a laptop and you have to buy a microphone, but as opposed to, you know, the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, when you had to get studio time and you had to pay an engineer and a producer, like none of that stuff is in your way anymore. It, it can be, it could still be a challenge to release things, but to record now, there's so much less standing in your way. So I would say, just write the thing and then record it, turn knobs until it sounds the way you want it to sound and, you know, put it out. I mean, it, it's, it's such a good time to be a songwriter in terms of the ability to record and the ability to write. Um, I guess I'm kind of rambling a little bit. I'm not sure that I answered the question, but I think the, the thing I would say is don't let anything stop you. Just write it. And then after you've written it, decide whether you'll do anything with it and decide if it's any good or, and also it's important to remember that we as writers are not necessarily the best judge of whether something's good. We should, our job is just to write it. You can let other people decide if it's good. Yeah. And you totally answered the question for sure. And I just want to say, I mean, we're talking specifically about songwriting today, but that is just a universal message for all writers just write the thing, stop worrying about who's going to like it, where it's going to get published barrier for entry. Again, like you said, in, in writing novels is, is a lot lower as well. People can self publish today without some of that stigma that was around 20 years ago about self publishing. And, you know, there's just so many more ways to get your work seen now with it, whatever you're writing. So absolutely yeah. just do it. Yeah. Just write the thing. That would have been, that, I should have just said it that way. That should have been my answer. Just write the thing. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. And I think that's a great place to stop because I know you need to get back on the road. So thank you so much for being here, Zach. I appreciate your time and I'm so excited for your album and I can't wait to hear what you write next. Well, thank you for having me, Liz. This was a lot of fun and I really appreciate getting to talk to you about writing and uh, best of luck with everything. I uh, Send me some stuff you're working on. I'd love to read it. Awesome. Thank you. 
So there you have it. A songwriter's take on the whole writing process. I just, I love how it's not so different from what an author struggles with. So you can see how plotting a book can actually be comparable to putting words and music together in a way that flows, tells a good story and captivates people whether you're listening or reading. So I'd love to hear what your takeaway is from this episode. Send me a DM on Instagram and let me know, or head over to kateconti.com and send me a message through my website. Don't forget to subscribe to the pod. And if you like this episode, rate it, review it, share it with a friend. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.